Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and today we reach into the world of professional Australian rules football to understand how one of Australia's leading AFL teams, indeed they were the premiers not this season but the season before, how they go about telling their story and engaging with their audiences online because I think there is so much that we can learn from professional sport. So if any of you are interested in learning a little bit more about Content Group, we are on Facebook, on LinkedIn and Twitter. So please don't forget to also visit our website. And if you are so minded, uh, if you could give us a review, maybe at iTunes or Stitcher, that always helps because uh, people can then uh, find us and more people can join the community of In Transition. But joining me is Tom Nixon, and Tom is the head of digital at the Western Bulldogs AFL team, and he's been involved at the Western Bulldogs from 2011, where between 2011 2016. He was the digital communications manager for the Western Bulldogs, but as of 2016, he has been the head of digital. And before joining the Western Bulldogs, Bulldogs, he was a freelance sports writer and commentator, and he joins me from Melbourne today. Tom, thanks very much for joining me in transition. Thanks very much for having me, David. Uh, It must be a great uh, interest of yours being football, but also being in the middle of that ability to tell the story of the football team. It certainly must get you out of bed most mornings because there'd be a lot to do. I think it's a, it's a very privileged position that we get. And, and maybe sometimes we, we take for granted a little bit to be on the inside of a, a sporting organisation and I guess become the intermediary between the fans and and the public and, and the players and the athletes and the internal operations. I know um, growing up and as, you know, my own um, sporting background and, and times I had there, it was the, some of the best times around your mates and your friends in a, in a sporting club. And I guess we're pretty fortunate that we get to work in, in such a uh, an environment day to day, but uh, in an area that so many people have such a strong passion and, and interest in. So this podcast is very much focused on the how, and we always like to to delve in with our guests to really get them to uh, reveal just exactly how it is that they go about their job. So perhaps if we could start at the beginning of, of the planning process, and I would imagine that about now, given that the Australian rules football season in uh, Australia is now over for the year, that this is probably the time of the year where you're starting to think about next season and perhaps even looking back on what's happened in this past season. So is now the time that you start to plan? It is indeed. I think you're always looking ahead to the the next milestones and next events. And I think what you'll learn and you observe the the AFL industry is the AFL's done a fantastic job in making the code and the game very relevant 12 months round that it's not just the home and away season, but there's a pre-season competition. You turn into finals and then we've just come out of the trade period. We'll be heading into the draft and and pre-season just after that. And there's now an AFLW competition, which really fills out 
the summer months heading into the home and away season too. So you're always, I guess, uh, reviewing and then planning for that next upcoming event. So at the moment, we've definitely reviewed how we've gone about things in uh, the home and away season and unfortunately no finals campaign this year. But at the same time, we were planning how we, we wanted to execute trade. We're starting to review what we did through the trade period and our, our eyes now turn towards the draft period and, and what we want to do through that. It's, it's That's such a, a key traffic time and engagement time for our fans. It's an opportunity where you bring new players into the club, um, new fan favourites for the, the next generation. So there's some great opportunities there that, that we get to introduce those people first to our fans. So when do you look back on last season, the season just passed, and probably for our overseas uh, listeners, they may not quite understand um, uh, the, 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 what happened the year before where the Western Bulldogs, which is the team that uh, Tom works for, uh, came from eighth place, one of the you know great battling clubs, fought their way through to the grand final, won the grand final. There were, you know, people in the streets for days and days, you know, families who've grown up for generations without success. And it was a an incredible uh, time. And this year you didn't have obviously that opportunity because you didn't make the finals. But when you look back on that period, what did you, what did you do well this year and what did you not do so well this year? I think just to touch on what you said for, for the, listeners that are abroad and outside of Australia, we'd, the the run we had in 2016 had been 61 years since we'd, we'd won a premiership. And I think it's been likened to the Leicester cities of the EPL and Chicago Cubs in, in Major League Baseball, even the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and in the NBA, such as sort of that, that championship drought. I think what we learned and what we always knew is how passionate our fans are. And it's continued to, I guess, underlie what we do is, is really creating content and experiences that continue to uh, elicit that passion from our fans and make them feel closer to the club. I think um, winning and losing, we're in a performance-based industry where it's always going to have an impact on uh, how people view the team or sometimes their emotions towards the club. But I think there's a lot of things that we, we can do day to day and week to week, which make people continue to feel proud about being a Western Bulldogs fan or a member. I think you know people joke about you get born into uh, certain teams and, and, and whatnot, but ultimately it's people are making a decision to engage with us and, and spend their time with us and indeed spend their money with us. So it's it's our job um, week in, week out to make them feel good about that choice and um, whether it's for us you know, providing insights behind the scenes with um, what happens inside the locker room, Guernsey presentations, um, some of that really core inner sanctum uh, items or it's it's lifting the lid on some of the community work that the, the club do. I think they're areas that really, um, I guess, resonate with our fans and make people proud about the connection they have with the club. So is it really that content? Is it is it the content that they don't see on a regular basis that, as you say, behind the curtain, the inner sanctum stuff, is that the stuff that really um, attracts the audiences? I th- it, it is largely, I think, particularly when, when it comes to the video side of things is you know, we're in a privileged position. We get to take the fans to places that they, they, they don't usually go day to day and um, get them to share experiences that they otherwise wouldn't normally have. I think um, the bread and butter of the platform still is that, that core football um, and sports news. It's team selections, it's injury updates, it's who's in, who's out, who's signed a contract. I think that's, that's where the, the basis of um, I guess our platform comes, but we're also very much in that storytelling business and 
um, you know, sharing those great stories um, of the player about to embark on his first game or their reaction after they've been um, had their first win and they've had their first Gatorade shower or um, sharing the moments where fans get to meet their their, their, their hero for the, the first time. They're very real and authentic stories that I think resonate across um, all, all levels of our fan base. So how active and how how planned are you in terms of building out your editorial calendars on a on a week-to-week basis? I think the the beauty of a regular season is that it is quite structured that you know you have a match on a weekend and whether it's six or seven days turnaround between your last game, there's, there's key markers throughout the week. We know that, you know, medical injury and news will tend to come out on a Monday, team selections on a Thursday, and then you really kick into your match preview content Friday into a Saturday game, for example. So there's there's elements that are they're scheduled by, uh, I guess, those sorts of necessities and the, just the rhythm of, of football. And then beyond that, there's, there's core franchises and staples that will release from a content perspective uh, week to week. So we might have some more featured programs in the middle of the week, obviously team previews and around a Friday and then the, the Saturday, Sunday, it's that post-match content, whether it's interviews from the rooms afterwards, match highlights um, or a, an injury update on the Monday. So th- there's those core elements are there and then it can be the storylines week to week, which you turn up and, and turn down um, as the case may be. So in terms of your team, what does it look like? How many people have you got working for you and what roles do they have? Uh, Within my team specifically, we have two video producers, uh, a digital marketing coordinator whose focus is is purely on uh, e-communications with our our, our members and fans, so through email marketing, uh, and then a social media and, and digital coordinator who's whose focus is really, I guess, on the on the distribution of the content that's created by the club. Uh, we have an editorial manager who sits within our communications team, uh, whose responsibility is the, is the written editorial content that, that works through our website. And we have a partnership with AFL Media. So we syndicate some of their written and video content um, that resonates with our fans through our own channels. So there's, there's four core staff alongside me within the, the digital team, obviously, then the editorial manager, and we have support from our graphic design team as well to um, really bring uh, different elements to life from a visual sense through our social channels. And so how many pieces of content would you produce on a typical week? I think in season we look upwards of 30 written uh, web articles a week um, and anywhere between – uh, 20 and, and 30 video uh, content pieces a week. It, it, it hinges a little bit on on win and a loss, but it's it's in that sort of ballpark that we work towards. Okay, so just going through some of the you know the assets that you do create. Video obviously is core uh, to what you do. Is that fair to say? It is. I think it's what we see particularly on the social media side of things. Um, the the preference that. Facebook and Instagram have within their algorithm for video content has really helped to surface that. But when you consider the way people consume content on their phones these days, it's it's 10, 15, 30 second short videos. And they say a picture tells a thousand words. So you can you can get a lot across in a really short space of time in, in video content. And so your producers are, you know, what, just, you know, belting out, you know, one interview and then chopping that up into, you know, different assets. Is that how it works? It is. We try to, I guess, shoot once and, and syndicate many times over. It might be we do a press conference in which 
we release the full press conference version for people that wish to view it in its entirety. We might pull out a couple of key um, 15, 30-second grabs to, to push through social of key talking points that come from it. We then might drop a couple of those grabs into a news wrap that we run at the end of the week to back over some of the, the key talking points um, that, that came out in that particular press conference. We might turn that video piece into uh, an audio um, MP3 which drops through our Audio Boom channel so people might not necessarily want to watch it as a video but they'll stream it as an audio clip and then sort of key grabs from that obviously spin into written editorial uh, content. So there's um, it's, it's amazing how one piece of content captured once can be split so many different ways but you've got to provide that content of choice for people the way they want to consume it um, and, and that's what we aim to do. And then obviously on the uh, distribution side of things, you have that social media community manager. Um, could you describe their role and, and what takes up the, the, the bulk of their time? It would be a combination of the, I guess, the posting of the content on, on the website, so making setting up the article uh, if, it, if, if it needs to be escalated onto the the homepage, the hero carousel that we have to really surface the content and highlight it. Um, there might be a push notification um, through our mobile app to, to draw attention to that content piece to our uh, app users, and then it's about distributing it through our social channels. So it's not necessarily about one piece of uh, – content and, and one sort of uh, element of, of copy that goes with it, you've, they've got to really work to make sure the tone and the expression of that piece of content suits the audience. So Twitter is very much that news feed, so it's just putting the facts out there and, and letting it run. Facebook, we want people to engage with and share their thoughts, so it might be pulling out a quote from um, the story to, to get people buying into what it is and clicking through to more. Um, Instagram, we might create a quote graphic, um, which our, our social um, producer will do. He'll, he'll drop some keywords into a template with an image of the person that's as the talking head, just to try to convey, I guess, that the message and the, the key elements uh, through the different platforms. And what about the management of the interaction on the Facebook page? Who's got responsibility for that? So that's definitely led by our, our social coordinator and a couple uh, of other members of our team, including myself, have of access and admin rights to be able to oversee and manage um, some of the feedback. I know uh, in peak periods the, the comments come in quicker than you can read them and, and that's where it's great to have a couple of hands to, to be able to uh, view over what's being said. I think you know, Facebook has some of its own inbuilt censoring along the way for uh, for, for certain words and certain sentiments that, that um, aren't appropriate but We've also got to make sure that um, people that are engaging in our, our page feel it's safe to engage with the content but safe to express their thoughts but it's done in a manner which isn't uh, necessarily causing conflict or is uh, derogatory or untowards um, other people that are wanting to become involved with the channels. And do people generally behave themselves? I think we find that um, our fans are, are, are really pretty good that they're able to have um, conflicting and contrasting views, but they, they almost self-moderate in a way that um, there'll, there'll be people that will sit either side of the fence, but more often than not, they can have a, uh, a pretty um, honest uh, feedback or discussion on the channels. Um, you know, more often than not, we don't have to jump in to, to censor some of the commentary, but they, they, they generally are able to keep away from it turning into a personal uh, uh slinging contest. Now, you mentioned the, the written word that you've got an editorial manager. What's their role in terms of um, guiding and directing the, the written content? 
Um, it's it's probably no different to the way you'd look at an editor with a newspaper is, I guess they have a firm understanding of our audience and and the key news items that are coming up and it's about creating the best written content to, to suit those needs. So whether it's writing an article off the back of a press conference or a more creative piece um, that our editorial manager creates in the lead up to, to matches is four things to watch, which is one of the more popular items that we have there, which is his um, slant on the key talking points coming into the game. Um, anything from then compositing external experts' opinions on our team's performance. So it's it's about, I guess, not only creating but collecting some of the best content that's available uh, to push through in the in the written form. And so how do you look at that written content when uh, alongside the video content, the audio content and, and the graphic content? What, what purpose does the written word have? I think the written word is still as powerful as ever and I think what we're seeing, it's more the way it is expressed and the way people want to consume the written word, it's its probably shorter than what it was in terms of uh, the length of stories online. People want to be read content that's quite succinct and to the point, but you probably need to find that hook as much as anything to get people clicking through to read the content, whether it's in a headline, whether it's in a key quote that we think will um, draw people's attention in. Um or in many cases, we, we like the, the format of a list story where there might be four talking points or five outcomes that people need to review. You give your tease the first two and try and drag people through to read three, four and, and five. So it's it's that all in that lead paragraph and, and the, the way in trying to uh, pitch it to our online audiences. And in terms of the graphics, you mentioned that you've got a, a graphic design team, but they not, don't necessarily work for you. Why is that? I think it's it's largely the way we're set up as a as a, a marketing department. We we're broken into in three key areas. We have digital, we have brand, and we have uh, communications um, that all sit with un, under the the marketing umbrella. And and brand is obviously both the visual and uh, written uh, expression of, of who we are and our identity as a club and that, that's where graphic design sits. We're very much a collaborative team so it's not necessarily about who reports to who. We all sort of sit in on the same uh, meetings. We're all in the, in the same area within the office. It's it's more a, a reporting structure as much as anything and in, in many ways it allows them to have an element of independence when they're servicing a whole business. So they've got um, requirements from not only um, the digital side of things, but from our comms team, our commercial partners, our community foundation, uh, our membership ticketing team, our fan development team. So it gives them, I guess, the capacity to sit independently as that creative across the entire business so that um, they can uh, work independently of a lot of projects without necessarily having um, their time pulled in one direction because of reporting structures. But if you've got a, you know, a an urgent need to create a graphic, are they available to help you with that? Oh, most definitely. And I think that's the, the best thing. I've, I've worked with our graphic designer for the past five or six years um, since he started with the club at a similar time to I did. And um, I think we're very much on the same page about the way we want to operate, the way um, things need to be in the digital space. And he, he said before that, you know, we'll kick the ball out in front of him and he'll run onto it and do the rest. So <laughs> we're all very much on um, the one page with the way we want to go about things. We've got um, the highest level of respect and trust with the way Dom goes about his work and it's, um, you know, it's it's all part of the team environment working. It's the same with our video producers and it's the same with 
um, the editorial side of things that we we get together, we know what the concept is, we work out what our contribution is to the execution, we go away and execute, and you end up with the final product that the fans see. And so, do you have then a, a an analyst on your team, a data analyst who is then looking at all the various channels, looking at the activities, looking at the signals, and being able to give you a sense of what's working, what's not working. We don't have a, a specific analyst sitting within the team. I think that's a, a large part of what my role is, is to help close the, the feedback loop and, and sit back and review what content is working, what channels it's working best for, whether it's the time that we're posting, um, the type of content, whether it's visual, are we using video, where the clicks are, are going the most, um, whether that's through looking at off Google Analytics, uh, off our analytics platform. Um, we use Omniture that sits behind the, the website platform or the analytics through our app just to get an understanding as to how people are engaging and similar from a social side of things um, whether again Facebook using their own analytics um, we, we've got a, a contract and partnership with social bakers as far as social analytics and metrics so using that to get some context as to how our content's performing as well so it's about sort of pulling all those little bits of information in and trying to build out the complete picture to do, get an understanding of the performance and so in terms of that how what periods do you look at in terms of being able to draw down on that analytical insight are you, are you looking at it on a quarterly basis or a monthly basis to you know test and learn and to try to change things up in in terms of your mix or are you perhaps even a longer period of time looking at it say maybe through a six monthly lens i think it's, it's a combination that we work off a almost a week-to-week cycle in terms of our, our content that we produce from match to match and we'll review the week before ahead as we move towards the week ahead and getting an understanding as to what content was driving traffic one week earlier and, and maybe how that can influence or um, shape what we're doing in, in the week coming. Um, we look at it in the context of month to month and in comparing months to um, in, in a year-on-year capacity too to give some, some wider context as to the growth and indeed looking at um, benchmarking across the league so we get an understanding as to what's happening across the, the wider AFL network that um, we might task ourselves with certain growth targets or certain um, view targets and we find we fall short. But then when you look in the context of the AFL network, um, viewership's down for that month and the small growth that we had is actually a, a small win. So I think context is everything when it comes to numbers. I think you can paint um, a case for and against most concepts depending on how you shape the numbers. So I think the more um, we can get the more we know, the more context that we can provide, the more that we um, can can gain meaningful insights into the numbers that are presented to us. And also in the model of the way that the AFL yeah. runs itself, it obviously has a very big central media area, digital area, where there's a lot of content that's created at sort of head office and then made available. Can you explain how that works with the, with the mothership, so to speak? I think there's been probably a lot reported on with AFL media and, and how they work. They're essentially the, the media and content arm of the league um, and they they do a great job in, in really providing comprehensive coverage of the game. Um, they've got a full complement of staff writers, of video producers, of graphic designers and I guess they're, they're sitting right in the middle of that relationship between fans and the game as well. I guess the difference is that as clubs, fans have relationships directly with us as a fan, but if, for those that want an up broader understanding or, or awareness of the game, they're the comprehensive place. We we work with 
um, the staff beat writers that they have, um, and they produce some content that we which we syndicate. And similarly, from a video content perspective, we, we syndicate some of those contents too. But you you really look at them no differently to um, the other media entities that indeed cover um, the game from the traditional um, mainstream TV networks and um, newspapers and radios um, through to the the more uh, new media. Um, outlets that that exist online. Okay, so they're as much a competitor as anybody else. I think that's that's definitely the way that um, they sit. That they're they're a legitimate media outlet that cover the game. That um, they they have their own editorial staff, a full complement there, and and they're very much um, position themselves as the the key, I guess, n- news and particularly online um, news channel for the game. And they've been very successful when you look at the, the audience numbers they're able to generate through the AFL network. Yeah, it's massive. How do you, how do you ensure that your team is staying on top of the latest trends and the latest tools and the latest, you know, information that you need and knowledge that you need to continue to improve? I think it's like most industries that there's, whether it's trade publications or blogs, um, that you, we're always... Uh, I get have the ear to the ground and, and see where um, the the next emergence is coming from. Whether it's subscribing to different mailing lists um, to get an understanding of the technology that's coming through, or even just following teams uh, on this, through their social and web channels to to gain inspiration. It might be keeping an eye on what the NBA, the NFL is doing, what's happening over in some of the the larger EPL clubs, or what's happening over in Syria R and and some of those other soccer giants across Europe. I think. They've got uh, some very uh, extensive uh, content and digital teams which cover the club and, um, you know, they create some fantastic content and there's some great ideas that can be gleaned from the way they go about things. Um, and sometimes it's it's a little easy to imitate them, be completely original and innovate yourself. And um, when you do work on a, in a lean operation, that's it's sometimes it's the best way to go. And what about the players who are obviously a key asset in telling the story of the Western Bulldogs? How do you manage their contribution that they make to to the story that you're trying to tell? I think the, the beauty about the players across all sports is that I guess they're their own individuals and increasingly you're seeing that fans are attracted as much to the players as they are to teams that you look particularly – Take the NBA, for example, fans are fans of LeBron, LeBron James. They're not necessarily a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers or uh, the Miami Heat when he was there, or they're, they're fans now of, if you're an Australian, of Ben Simmons rather than the Philadelphia 76ers. So I think they're, they're such an important ingredient. And I think you look at some of the, the stats and the research that come out, particularly out of Facebook and Instagram, and I, th- I think it's quite staggering that um, the amount of or the proportion of people uh, when they follow – uh, brands or entities online, a lot of it is athletes first, then it's clubs, then it's leagues. So um, they're so important. Um, and I guess for them, their social media channels are very much an extension of their physical uh, offline self and that it's now just another means that they can communicate with um, their fans um, <clears throat> or indeed audiences more widely. But how do you then manage them in a way that, yes, you want them to be authentic, but at the same time you want them to contribute to the brand and the story that you're trying to tell. So are there guidelines or anything, to any uh, guidance or directions that you might give to them around the way that they behave online? 
I think collaboratively we work to ensure they, um, <clears throat> excuse me, have a firm understanding of how uh, they contribute <clears throat> to the bigger picture that they know um, how best to present themselves and an understanding too that <clears throat> the social media space is no different to the way they present themselves when they front a press conference or speak to a journalist for a newspaper or jump on a radio view that interview that simply it's another extension, another channel of um, their like, professional communications as as an athlete. So it's the same process that most um, ad- advisors would give, whether you're in a, uh, a large corporate giving advisors to executive before they speak to media or, or within another brand or you, and you've got brand ambassadors. It's about... I guess them and they live it every day. The values of us, us as a club and what we stand for, um, and then how that is carries through to the way they communicate with people. Hmm. If I might take you back to a word that you used earlier in the discussion, which is something of real fascination to me around building engagement and trust um, and relationships with with audiences, but whether you're working in government or you're working in sport, but you mentioned experiences and the creation of experiences. What did you mean by that word or what do you mean when you, when you use that word experience? I think experiences is increasingly um, the way that we, we, we transport a fan into the middle of an environment. So whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality or whether it's about um, providing them with access to a scene or a moment in time that they otherwise wouldn't be able to be a part of. So whether it is transporting them into um, the coach's post-match address uh, after our last game of the season and, and listening to the coach, Luke Beveridge, pay tribute to two retiring greats of our football club, it's, that's an experience in itself. Of it's not just a piece of content, um, it's not just a video, but uh, I, the rawness of that content uh, makes you feel like you you're really there and you're living that moment too. And I think that's when we talk about experiences, it's making pe- making our fans feel like they're they're coming on the journey with us, and they're not just. Uh, observers from the outside. Mm, okay, so it's it's really reaching beyond the transactional to that deeper engagement. Whereas you you use the word feel, so you're trying to make people feel something. I think that's correct. It's it's, it's a really emotional connection that that fans have with their their sporting teams, and um, that's when content really hits the markets when it, it does get people to feel something, whether it's pride, whether it's sadness, um, passion. I think that's when we're doing our job really well, particularly in the video space, is people aren't just taking information out of it, but they're taking – they walk away with an emotion and a feeling and it, we hope, strengthens um, their, their level of connectedness to the club. So where to next? Say over the next 12 months, describe to me perhaps where you think – uh, the world of digital communication will be in 12 months and perhaps something that you'll be doing more of and maybe something that you think you might be doing less of? I think definitely more. Uh, the video space continues just to, to, to blow up and I think it's um, it's probably more of that authentic uh, inside inner sanctum type content. That's where our fans um, really connect, but it's probably, again, trying to find more ways of 
diversifying what we do as well. So we we know we have a heavy focus on on football content. It's how can we showcase the personalities of our players and <clears throat> what they are like off the field and and pull that through into the content. So they're not just connecting with, I guess, experiences and and football interactions, but they're really connecting with with people. And I think what you see the the rise of a lot of those athlete led um, media or websites mm-hmm. or content creators, you look at unscripted um, or you look at um, Players Insider, Players Voice or Players Tribune, it's the reason why they're, they're, they're increasing and they're becoming more popular is because you get to see the authentic self of the player. And, again, the, the fans, I, the value that social media has provided and, and the digital media is that ability to have a one-to-one connection with a player, with a club, uh, and I think the more that you can provide access or insight into the authentic self of the player, I think that's where there's there's some real growth to to come from. But obviously, there's also the challenge, isn't there, of you know too much and too much access, maybe to perhaps even too much distraction, and you start to get into the space of you know impacting on performance. And as you suggested during the discussion, you know winning does drive a lot of uh, engagement and it does affect your results. And I think you're correct there that it is about striking that right balance and um, it's not necessarily being in every waking moment with a camera waiting to capture that next nugget because if you see a coach, coach's post-matches, you know, addressed to the players once or twice, you probably start to feel like you've seen it the third and fourth time. So it's still about keeping it, it fresh uh, and finding new ways to uh, to cover the same events, but it might be uncovering um, different individual personalities at, at different times. We're really lucky that we've got not only an AFL playing group, but we have an AFLW uh, women's team as well, which provides us with another <clears throat> 30 uh, athletes and 30 different stories to be told and, and 30 different experiences that they have um, through a season. So there's there's always those stories there. It's probably finding the right medium and the right way of expressing it. And, and again, that's the challenge for us is might not always be video. It could be through a podcast, could be through written. It could be through photos that um, that's, it's on us to make sure we're finding the right content to tell the story in the right way. Yeah. That's the challenge, isn't it? To be thoughtful. And it's not just about volume. It obviously is about uh, making sure that you you've got that mix right. And that sounds like it's a very difficult task. I think first and foremost, our, our not just responsibility, but we we have to manage those relationships that we have internally and that we're there to work with and work for the players as we are as much to work um, for the fans and for the the external mm-hmm. people external to the club. So we've got to make sure that we're doing the right thing by those relationships internally to make, allow the the athletes and the players to be the best they possibly can be both on and off the field and and that's the the balance that we've got to strike. And there's some players that. Um, and you see through the likes of the new Patrick Dangerfields that just really th- enjoy um, the content creation process and um, and and being uh, active in that social space. And there's there's others that um, yeah. head maybe, for the hills, but maybe not as keen. <laughs> but again, you work with them um, to find a way to be able to tell their story. I think even some of our shyest players, we've we've been able to find ways of. Um, sharing their their experiences or telling their story, and it might you might start with written interviews, and it might evolve into a, a short post match interview on camera, and, and it might grow from there. I think you can't jump into an all access 
um, documentary the first day you meet anybody. I think it's like any relationship that you get to know them, get to know what, what works for them, how they operate, and, and then you build from there. And just a, a personal question to finish off on. You know, this is a 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How do you manage to switch off and not think about it at every waking moment? Um, it, it is, I guess, an occupational hazard um, in sport that it is consistent. And I think the way you look at it is the, is the fan probably never switches off too. You don't sort of turn on your fandom at the start of April, at the start of the season and turn it off in September that you are a fan 365 days a year. I think to, to be in the sporting space, um, you really do need to love the industry and love what you do and, and, and I guess understand um, what you're committing into. And it's, it's not necessarily the industry for everyone. I think um, you, you might speak to uni grads or people that are starting out their careers and they want to work in sport. And then, and some of them, um, you see the shiny bright lights, you see the match day on a weekend, but you don't see turning up the next morning to facilitate the press conference or you don't hear the calls um, in the media side that are coming at all hours of the night time um, when there's a story about to break or um, when in most recently we had a, a new recruit sign and you've you've got to jump in the car and head up the highway to um, to, to get an interview because that's just the, the commitment that you make to um, the fans and I guess getting the story. I think it's, yeah, you, you've got to enjoy what you do. and um, But can you turn off? Do you ever turn off? Um, I think you can turn down. I think you can <laughs> definitely dial down the volume. And I think increasingly when you have more more people working around you that it, it becomes a manageable task. There is the capacity to take in season to take weekends off where it can be footy free or you have a bye weekend and you make the most of it or um, be able to, to, to handball um, or to shift around some responsibilities so you can get some downtime. But um, – you do know that when the season's on, the season's on, and sometimes you, you joke that you'll see you say goodbye to your friends in April and you, you catch them in October. But um, <laughs> but it, it 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 is it is what it is. But it's a, it's a fantastic industry, and I think the memories that you walk away with, you, um, particularly um, in the good times, but even in the bad times or the tougher times, um, they're they're pretty last long lasting. So it, it's all very much worth it. Yeah, indeed. So where, where can people get a bit of a, a look at some of the work of Tom Nixon and his team there at the Western Bulldogs? Where, is the, where are the best places for people to come and um, sample uh, some of the system that you've described to us today? I think the, the, the starting point is definitely westernbulldogs.com.au and, and jump on all the big socials, Facebook, Twitter and, and Instagram to uh, at, at Western Bulldogs and for our women's team, Bulldogs W. So they're the key places where we're, we're sharing our content, even jump in the App Store and uh, Google Play and download the, the Bulldogs mobile app. Uh, and they're all great places where you can see the, the social content, the written content and the video content um, that, that we put out there. And there's, there's some great stuff there. We've just done a fantastic um, mini documentary on our number one uh, AFLW draft pick. We followed our list management committee all through their deliberations and then uh, were with them the moment they made the house visit to Isabel Huntington to tell her the news that she was going to pick number one. And I guess they're those type of experiences and type of content that um, that we pride ourselves on and be able to take um, you know fans, not just of the team, but of the sport and general sports fans to places that, um, you can't go. Um, the other place that 
I'd highly recommend is is keep the eyes peeled on the website. We released a documentary recently called The Outsiders about our 2016 run. Uh, Adrian Brown, who's a phenomenal producer, um, put that effort together, and that was all inner sanctum content that that he created in in consult with. Uh, our former head of communications, Dennis Beiser, at the at the club, and um, that really showcases what we're about as a club and the storytelling and uh, and the experiences and the emotion that we try to create within our content. Fantastic. Well, congratulations, Tom. It's just a, a fantastic story about the way you've been able to assemble uh, a great team and tell a great story because they, you know, you have done that wonderfully well with the Western Bulldogs. Um, obviously, the on-field success in 2016 was a great platform, but since then, you've been doing a great job in, in in getting people to love the Bulldogs even more. So, congratulations for all your success, and uh, thanks very much for joining us today. My pleasure, and, and thanks very much for having me, David. Yeah, fantastic chat there with Tom Nixon. Obviously, you know football, uh, or you know AFL football, and and most of the major codes, as Tom was suggesting, particularly in some of the big European and, and North American sports, they do have that access and they do have the thrill of sport to be able to draw down on. But there's so much in the process that Tom was suggesting about the need to create experiences, the need to be authentic. All of us can do that in the government communication space. We can look to the people, we can look to the benefits that we're trying to create and be consistent and be real and really connect through to those audiences. But there's so much in that. So I'd uh, go back and have another listen. Uh, I think there's so much in that from Tom Nixon today. So a a great conversation there with the uh, head of digital at the Western Bulldogs AFL team. And if you don't have an AFL team, wherever you are in the world, why don't you follow the Western Bulldogs? So thanks again for uh, joining in once again this week. And I look forward to you coming back again next week. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.